We're hearing a lot these days about inflation, but that's not all that economists are worried about. There is also the deficit. It is alarmingly high, and the fear is it could make America's national debt unsustainable. Our guest today is Stavros Panagias. He's professor of finance at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. He's written a paper about the sustainability of the debt. Hello again, I'm Armin Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of UCLA Anderson and Professor Panagias. Welcome back. Great to have you. Thanks for having me again. A pleasure to be here. Is the national debt sustainable? You've raised a very challenging question. And to make sure we're all on the same page, walk us through some of the relevant terminology. First of all, what's the difference between the deficit and the debt? Sure. So the deficit and the debt are intricately related with each other. Think of the debt as the total amount of indebtedness that the U.S. government has accumulated over the years. And the deficit is, roughly speaking, is how much we're adding to that debt. If you wanted an analogy, the analogy would be, think of the bathtub and think of how much new water the faucet is putting in. The level of water in the bathtub, that would be the analogy of the debt, the total water that has accumulated. And the deficit would be how much new water comes out of the faucet. Now, one distinction that's going to become useful for our discussion, so I would like to put it out there early on, is the difference between what economists call the total deficit and the primary deficit. The difference between the total deficit and the primary deficit is that the total deficit includes interest payments. The primary deficit does not. And for some of the discussion we're going to be having today, this distinction will become relevant. The primary deficit is essentially just government expenditures minus government revenues, whereas the total deficit is going to be government expenditures plus interest payments minus government revenues. How often do we increase the deficit? So every year, we are essentially measuring how much did the government collect in terms of revenue, how much did it spend, and the difference between how much the government spent and how much it collected is what we refer to as the deficit. And that deficit gets added to how much debt has accumulated so far. But we have to think out, as I understand it, because bonds are 10, sometimes 20 years before they need to be paid off. We have to think out 10 or 20 years. That adds to the uncertainty as you're trying to determine where we stand. So sure, one of the things actually that, you know, is very, very important when we try to think of the long-term outlook for where the debt is going has to do with how, what interest rates are going to be in the future. As a matter of fact, this is one of the reasons why economists like to distinguish between the primary deficit, which is something that given the programs that the U.S. is running and given the budgets that the various agencies are submitting, that's something that is a little bit easier to predict over short horizons. Whereas the total deficit, which includes the interest payments, this is something that is a little bit harder to predict for the reason that you mentioned, which is it's very hard to know over the future where the interest rates are going to be that the U.S. will have to be paying to be rolling over its bonds. And yes, it is true that the U.S., some of the bonds that it is issuing, 
could be as long as, say, 10 years. But sooner or later, some of these bonds come due. And when they come due, normally what happens at that point is we just issue some new bonds to pay the bonds that are maturing. One of the things I think you wanted to define, because it's important to this conversation, is the gross domestic product. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? So the gross domestic product is very important when we're trying to establish whether government debt is sustainable or not. So as we said earlier, the bonds of the U.S. government sooner or later come up and mature. So at that point, the U.S. government has to roll over that debt, meaning it has to issue new bonds to repay the bonds that are maturing. Now, whenever we think of this process, whenever we think of these bonds that are come due for rollover, the situation is not that much different than the situation that a typical household faces when, say, it's want to refinance its mortgage. What is one of the first questions a bank asks a household? The question is very simple. Well, how much are you making? How much is your income? It's not too different for the U.S. government. The bond market wants to know whether the amount of goods that this country produces, which is roughly what the gross domestic product is, if that's big enough, that means tax revenue is going to scale with that. So the amount that the government could in principle repay will be scaling with that amount, which is the gross domestic product. So for the purposes of debt sustainability, we don't like to look at the absolute number of the debt. What we like to look at is at the ratio between the government debt in the numerator and the gross domestic product in the denominator. If that ratio starts becoming higher and higher and higher, then we start worrying that markets, be it in five or 10 years, whenever these bonds come up for renewal, whenever the issue of rollover becomes relevant, if the markets think that this ratio between debt and gross domestic product keeps growing and growing and growing, they might not be that willing to keep rolling over the debt. That's what we normally would refer to as a debt crisis. Not that right now the US is in a debt crisis. We're far from it at this point. The issue is more of a dynamic issue. The issue is more what does the future hold and how markets would react if they saw a ratio between the debt and the GDP that keeps growing without bound. Okay, so you've set us up beautifully, it seems to me, for the question about the deficit. It has risen very dramatically in recent years. Why is that? And what does that say about the outlook for the future? So the deficit rose quite substantially, especially during COVID, which was a probably temporary effect because the government needed to support the economy in this quite unusual situation. And the outlook is that over the next few years, it's going to return to somewhat more normal levels by historical standards. However, the key issue when we look at the very long-term projections on the deficit and the debt, one of the things that one notices is that even if one looks narrowly at the primary deficit, as we said earlier, the primary deficit is just the difference between the government outlays and the government revenues that have nothing to do with interest rates, that are somewhat easier to predict. Even those numbers don't show a tendency of coming up, coming down. So the deficit keeps on being positive for the foreseeable future. 
and actually with a slight tendency to keep on increasing over the years. So it's around 2.3% of GDP right now, the primary deficit that is, and it has a tendency over the next 40 to 50 years to keep rising to levels as high as 3.3, 3.5, all the way to 3.9 by 2052, according to the projections. This is where the issue of what future interest rates are going to look like becomes very relevant. In principle, one could even think, at least theoretically, of a situation where the deficit could keep on being positive, meaning every year the government spends more than it brings in, and yet the debt-to-GDP ratio would not blow up in the future. Now, what would be required for such a scenario, such a theoretical scenario, what would be required would be very low interest rates, specifically interest rates that are well below the growth rate of the economy. And the intuition for that is that if interest rates are not too high, then it is possible that just because GDP is growing year by year by year by year, and expenditures that we make to service that debt are not going up when interest rates are very low, yes, in principle, we could have a situation where the deficit remains positive, but the ratio between debt and the gross domestic product remains relatively stable. Now, a back-of-the-envelope calculation would say that the sort of numbers that we would need in order to achieve that would imply a very, very low level of interest rates, which are unlikely to be the interest rates that we see in the future. So if one actually looks at the projection of the CBO, of the Congressional Budget Office, of where the debt-to-GDP ratio is likely to go under their assumptions of where interest rates are going to be in the future, we are looking at a debt-to-GDP ratio, which right now is about in a ratio of one-to-one. The projection that the CBO is making is that this number is going to grow to as high a number as 185% of GDP, so almost two times GDP by 2052. That is, at least in my view, a pretty alarming prospect. Alarming? In what way? So in general, we think that based on historical data, once a country starts climbing to numbers of debt to GDP, let's say roughly larger than 120%, markets can start getting jittery about the possibility of that government to keep rolling over its debt. Now, that is not a number that is set in stone. There have been many instances where debt-to-GDP ratios grew as high as 180% for some countries, and that did not result in a debt crisis. There are some other situations where even lower levels than 100% have led to debt crisis, have led markets to become jittery about the ability of governments to roll over their debts. That can create a spiral. And here is how that spiral would look like. They're building a risk premium in anticipation of the possibility that future debt holders might not be willing to roll over the debt. It becomes difficult for the government to roll over its debt today because already today it starts facing higher and higher interest rates. And indeed, like that process of spiraling expectations can in some situations work very, very quickly. To give you an example, 
when the Greek debt crisis happened back in 2008, Greek interest rates, so the interest rates that Greece was paying on its debt, within a matter of few months, skyrocketed. And that was because of market self-fulfilling expectations that future bondholders might not be willing to roll over that debt anymore. So the situation can become very explosive very quickly. Again, this is not a prediction. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be alarmist here, and I'm not trying to make such a prediction about the US. And I don't think anybody can even be alarmist about those things precisely because there is no number set in stone about what is the magical debt-to-GDP number that would make debt unsustainable for a country or that could cause a spiral in interest rates like the one that I described. After a country reaches a level like 120%, that's a number that many economists believe should start looking more and more alarming. And according to the CBO projections, the US would be around that order of magnitude of debt around 2037, to be precise. In some ways, that sounds like the distant future. And yet, in these terms, it's day after tomorrow, particularly if something can happen as rapidly as you suggest. What can we do in the meantime to prevent this from happening? Well, the simplest thing that one can do is to just convince markets that the U.S. will be bringing somewhat down its deficit. I think that's kind of like the simplest thing that one can think of in terms of showing to markets that the U.S. debt is on a sustainable path. I'd like to answer a somewhat easier question, which is what should we believe the primary deficit would have to be in order to make sure that, say, we could keep our current gross domestic product at close to 100% where it is right now? And there is a very basic formula that says that if you want to maintain a ratio between debt and the gross domestic product at a level of around uh, one for one, at the level of 100%, your primary deficit, defined again as government expenditures minus government revenues, it would have to remain at the level that is equal to the differential between economic growth, let's call that 1%, and what economists call the real interest rate, the gap between nominal interest rates and inflation. So let's put some numbers. Right now, the primary deficit is around 2% and is projected to go as high as, let's say, 3 to 3.5%. On the other hand side, economic growth is around 1%. So as a matter of fact, if we wanted to sustain the current level of deficits, we would need a real interest rate, so a gap between the nominal interest rate and inflation that would actually have to be a negative for the foreseeable future, a negative to the tune of minus 1% or minus 2%. That means nominal interest rates would have to remain below inflation for quite a while. That is not a historical experience. Normally, nominal interest rates have been above inflation to the tune of 1%. So if we go back to our formula of how much of a deficit could we possibly afford if we wanted to keep our debt-to-GDP ratio at its today level, even if we were to adopt a relatively optimistic scenario for the purposes of debt sustainability, if we were to stick with the scenario that, well, the nominal interest rate and inflation are going to be roughly the same, 
we could at most afford a deficit of close to 1%. We're very far away from that. And something needs to happen in order to make sure that our deficit stays at a level that is not going to expose us, if you want, to the danger that if in the future bond markets start rising interest rates and the interest rate gets ahead of inflation, at that point, it's going to be very hard to make all those sustainability calculations adapt. What about the policymakers involved, the administration and the Congress? Is it in their hands to try to avoid the worst-case scenario? At some level, yes. This would take some political will to fix this problem. I do not want to venture into any political predictions, but we know that in the current political environment, it is relatively hard to make the changes that are required to, as you say, reduce the deficit. But on the more positive side, again, I don't want to sound alarmist, uh, partly because neither I nor any other economist can make predictions about how markets are going to be reacting in 10 or 15 years from now. There is a possibility that things could keep on going at a deficit of close to 2 or 3% and markets still not react for the next 20, 30 years. This is the inherent difficulty in making that prediction. Having said that, my way of thinking about this is that because of the inherent uncertainty in making predictions about future interest rates, I would be cautious where we have to fix this problem and reduce the deficits because every time that countries have attempted to do that in a hurry, historical experience is that these austerity measures, when they are imposed in a hurry, are incredibly painful in terms of the cuts that need to take place. What does all this have to do with inflation? Ha! Inflation, again, inflation is a very tricky thing. Inflation is a very tricky thing. Here's the situation. The US is issuing the debt in its own currency. If inflation, if one just isolates the impact of inflation on the debt, keeping nominal interest rates, keeping nominal growth rates, by nominal I mean you know, measured in dollars, if one were to keep everything fixed and just change inflation, inflation actually is good from the purpose of bringing down the debt to GDP ratio. And the reason is relatively simple. As we said earlier, what matters for debt sustainability is the gap between, one is to say, the difference between the real interest rate and real growth rate, or equivalently, the difference between nominal uh, interest rate and nominal growth rate. If one were to keep the nominal interest rate fixed and were to adjust the nominal growth rate, which could happen just because inflation picks up, for the purposes of debt sustainability, that would tend to bring down the debt-to-GDP ratio. But notice what we are saying here. We are saying that if the debt-to-GDP ratio gets out of hand, then the two ways in which logically it could come down would either be through austerity measures or through inflation. Uh, none of these are particularly attractive possibilities, in my view. So the sooner we take some measure to make sure that we are on a path that can keep things sustainable, that can keep things so that we can, with relative certainty, say that the debt-to-GDP ratio is not going to have a tendency to keep growing and growing and growing, 
if we can get policies in place to make sure that we are on that path, we would need relatively few cuts today and relatively less painful measures today if we do things in a gradual way, then if we were ever to run into this scenario where bond markets do what market participants refer to as a bond market strike, as a situation where they just want unreasonably high interest rates to keep rolling over uh, government debt. At that point, we would be faced with either the prospect of uh, inflation or with the prospect of austerity, and none of those are good options. If the U.S. were to get onto an unsustainable path, would it lose its credit ratings from Moody's and others? The only time when uh, Moody's took away the AAA rating from the U.S., interest rates on U.S. debt went actually down rather than up, which means people started buying U.S. debt rather than selling it, as happens with any other country. And the irony of that is because markets can't even fathom a situation where the U.S. would default. Anytime the market has seen a contract where somebody would try to do what's known as a CDS, a default swap, essentially an insurance contract, that the U.S. government would default. First of all, that was always trading at basis points, so markets were considering that incredibly unlikely. And second of all, the joke that market participants would make is that, okay, you can buy all the insurance that you want against the U.S. defaulting. <laughs> so they were like so worried about you know, the counterparty default or how the world would go to hell in a handbasket if something like that were to happen. You know, it is one of those like black swan events. In the U.S., default would take more likely the form of inflation and it wouldn't be outright default. Uh, sorry, guys, we cannot pay interest this month or we cannot do this or that. Is it unfathomable? No. But right now, I was looking at all the ratings of U.S. government that they're all AAA. It's not that that fluctuates at all. Just because like markets kind of define the U.S. as being the safe haven for everything. When the ratings go down, the purchases go up. That's about as safe as an investment as you can get. Yes, absolutely. Except that I would not count on that happening all the time. This was a very unusual period. And what happened back then was just because the world was so much looking for a vehicle that it considered safe that the stock market went down, even though the prices of bonds went up. To me, that signals that the world was looking for a safe place and U.S. bonds were considered to be that safe place. So the fact that the ratings agencies downgraded U.S. debt was more seen as a signal that the world is becoming very uncertain when a situation like that happens, it runs for what it generally considers to be a safe asset. Keep in mind, though, that if we ever were to get into a situation where the rest of the world is doing just fine, it's not a global financial crisis, and it's only the U.S. that gets into this situation where the market starts perceiving its debt-to-GDP ratio as becoming unsustainable, I'm not sure we're going to see a repeat of that. There, it is very possible that the U.S. would exhibit the same pattern that we have seen for countries like Greece, for instance, where when the ratings agency started downgrading the debt and when markets started believing that 
this is going to become now an, a spiraling debt that nobody's going to want to roll over. There, we did see interest rates just go through the roof. Stavros Panagias, again, professor of finance at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. What a lesson this has been in debt management and the goal of sustainability and how to avoid the worst case scenarios. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you so much for being so careful, so very clear in what you say. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, once again, this has been How the World Works, a podcast of the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Thanks so much for being with us. Join us again. Thank you.